Hey, so grab a seat, but before the kids head off uh, to do what the kids do, uh, can I have all the kids come up here real quick? Uh, no, no age limit, man. You come on up, Roger, if you want to, bro. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Hey, Keone, come on up here, man. I need you guys up here for one second real quick. And uh, so uh, who's taking, who has the kids today, actually? Oh, okay, all right. Um, hey, so so uh, today, really the whole title of this message and really what it's all about is really what my devotion was that I sent out yesterday morning, only from a whole different passage. And it's about being safely preserved in the palm of God's hand. And so... Um, uh, there's a verse that uh, kind of goes with that here, and it's John uh, chapter 10, verse 27 through 30 is where I was at in my personal devotion, but it's so apropos to what's happening in Paul's life today. And so listen to this, guys, all right? It says, my sheep. Are you guys sheep? Can everybody just go, <laughs> Come on, you guys help them out. Show them how it's done. Yeah, all right, so kids, man, come on, do it with me. <laughs> All right, so, so Jesus says, man, Jesus is talking. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me, okay? So his sheep follow him. They hear what he's saying. They follow him, and check this out. He says, I give them eternal life. That's a life that lasts forever. It says, they will never perish, okay? That means they'll never, what does never mean? Hey, Joshua is not, what Joshua, I mean, Jacob, what does never mean? Does it mean never? Yeah, never means never, exactly. They'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And look at this. It says, so Jesus is talking. He said, my father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of my father's hand. He says, because I and the father are one. So check this out. The most precious possession that I have probably on this earth of all the junk I have that my kids are afraid when I die they're going to have to go through and sell on eBay and all this stuff. Help them out and come to the garage sale. But anyways, all this stuff I have, man, the most precious possession that I have, you know, tangible possession is my wedding ring here. And so I want you guys, you know, to realize that to God, you are the most precious possession. Each one of you is that precious to him. And, and so here's what it says. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, guys, and if you've given your life to Christ, if you said, man, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, and I'm, I'm trusting what you did on the cross, Jesus, to take care of my sins, if you've given your life to him, you're like this ring. And he says, Jesus says, you are in the palm of his hand. All right. So if you're in the palm of Jesus' hand, can anybody take you out? Here, come here and try. You guys all come here and try. Don't be shy. Come here and try to take it out. Can you take it out, Jacob? Oh, look at man. And no biting, okay? All right? I'm feeling fingernails digging, but can you guys get it out? So check this out. Can you guys get it out? Nope. All right. So they can't get it out. But listen to this. You know what he else says? He says, you're in the palm of Jesus' hand, but if that's not enough, he said, now you're in the palm of the Father's hand. All right? So you couldn't even get it out when it was in Jesus' hand. Now try to get it out when it's in the Father's hand. Can you guys get it out? Come on. Help out. Come on, man. Come on, man. Help, help. Get it out. Come on, man. I'm talking full-on attack. Let's go, man. Roger, this is where they could have used your help, all right? Come on. Oh, you girls. You're too cool for this. Come on, help out. They can't get it out. All right. Good. So that's my point, man. Listen, when you give your life to Christ, you're his most valuable possession. He loves you perfectly. Can't love you anymore. Can't love you any less. And he says, man, when you're one of my sheep, you hear me, you follow me. That's how you know you're his sheep. He says, you're in the palm of my hand. And he said, if that's not enough, you're in the palm of the Father's hand. And so can anybody take you out of God and Jesus' hand? No. So how long are you going to be in there? How long are you going to be in there? Forever. Forever. Man, one more time. How long are you all going to be there? Forever. Once you give your life to Christ, man. All right. You guys got that? All right, so go ahead and head off of Miss Christie over there. Run, go! All right. All right. It's good, man. You can head off with them, those guys? All right. Right on, man. That's just what girls do. I'm just saying. Sometimes. All right. So in this, man, I want you to know 
that, that you were right in the palm of God's hand. Go, let's go back and let's take a look. Um, let's take a look back at this verse again because we, we have some misconceptions as to what this uh, really kind of means and what it means in our in our everyday theology in our everyday walk. And um, so, first of all, I want you to realize that again, help me out here. Help me out here. Oh, uh, again. You are safely preserved in the palm of God's hand. And how long are you safely preserved in the palm of God's hand? Forever. Do you all believe that? You are there forever. Okay. And so let's take a look at this verse again. And again, this is when John was talking about, you know, unlike these other guys, I'm the real shepherd. I love my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. I take care of my sheep. I'm the doorway for my sheep. No one's getting through me. And so in this particular part, he says, He's telling the Pharisees, you're not my sheep because you don't hear my voice. You don't hear the Father's voice. You don't see that me and the Father are connected and all of this. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. I gnosko them. We have an intimate, personal relationship. Not some ritual where you got baptized, confirmed, or you got this or that or the other. Or you signed a letter. You have an intimate relationship with them. In fact, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture Jesus is dividing people, the sheep, he's dividing them. He's putting them in two lines. And there's a bunch of people getting put in what they think is the wrong line. It's not the line to heaven. And they're like, wait, wait, whoa, wait, how come I'm going there? Didn't I, didn't I, didn't I, didn't I preach in your name? Didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I heal in your name? Didn't I do this? Didn't I, didn't I stack chairs at Driftwood? <laughs> didn't I, you know, get there early and set up? Didn't I do, and, and, and what does Jesus respond back to him? And he says, yes, he said, but he said, I never, what's that word again? Knew you. You and I never had that personal, intimate relationship. It's about what I did, Christ says, not about what you did. And when you accept what I did, you understand what you have eternal, and you're willing to do anything for me, not to earn what I've done for you, but out of gratefulness. And because I bought you with the most valuable price that anyone could ever pay for someone. He said, it's not about what you did, it's about what I did. And because of that, you understand your eternal situation. And you and I have an intimate relationship for this little teeny tiny bit of time while we're on this planet. Because we're going to have one forever in heaven. How many of y'all are interested, excited, looking forward to sitting at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And I'm kind of ADD, and if he keeps me there, I'm going to be the one fidgeting, right? All right, I'm going to be sitting, but I'm going to be doing, I'll be sitting like this, all right? I'll be that kid, oh, me, me, whatever. But forever, we're going to be in his presence with the most awesome person to ever exist. We're going to be blown away every moment of every day. There's not even going to be a day or a night. We're just going to be blown away forever. Seeing how awesome he is. Anybody looking forward to that man? Yeah. And so he says, my sheep know my, they know me. I know them. They follow me. Because if you know him, you know there's nobody better to follow than the one that knows everything, can do anything, and is everywhere. The one that loves you perfectly. He doesn't love you less on your bad days. How many of you have bad days where you're not a really good follower? Does he love you less on those days, Jolty? No, in fact, yeah, he loves you perfectly. He loves you perfectly. That's why he knocks you in the head with that staff, right? Or with a sledgehammer if you're Roger. Right. So my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Look what he says. I give them. What kind of life? How long does eternal last for? Forever. And they will what? Never perish. How many of y'all wish that was true, the stuff in your refrigerator? Or the stuff you forgot to put in the refrigerator? You will never spoil. You will never spoil. No matter what this world does, no matter how you respond to it, if you're his, you're his, and you will be perfect just like him one day in heaven. That's good news because I'm not anywhere close now. They'll never perish, and no one, no one, including the devil, no one will snatch you out of my hand. There is absolutely no one no power, no principality, no, no authority. There is nobody. You can't even snatch yourself out of God's hand. Did you know that? Isn't that good news? Because sometimes I can't trust myself. Oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, you know. No, no, dude. You're in the palm of his hand forever. No one can snatch you out of my hand. And he goes to say, my father, my father, and he says we're one, who's given them to me. So who, who gave you? 
Uh, who gave you to God? Ashley, who gave you to God as a, or gave you to Jesus as a present? The Father. You, <laughs> so, lights on, nobody home. No, it was a deer in the head like, oh. <laughs> I messed up the, yeah, look, he says, my Father who's given them to me. He's greater than everyone. And no one, who? No. Who? No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, man. He says, because I and the Father are one. Man, did you know you were that precious to him? Now, where we get this wrong is we think that this is day-to-day, -day, you know, living, that we're supposed to have the American dream, that we're supposed to have everything the way we want it, that nothing's supposed to go wrong with our plans. Anybody ever get mad with God when your plans get messed up? Yeah. How, how about your, how about your, you know, I, I, I deal with a lot of people who are retired and they're just, here's one of the things I hear a lot when somebody newly retires out on my boat, they're like, man, I worked my tail off my whole life to do all these things and now I'm too old to physically do them anymore. This didn't work out the way I planned, <laughs> right? But all of us, man, our plans, our, our resources, you know, all these things, we're, we're trying to apply this verse sometimes. Well, I'm a child of God. Everything should go perfect. And we define perfect as the way we would define perfect as opposed to the way God defines perfect. And again, I'm telling you that perfect is the one who gets to define perfect is him. And when he's talking about this verse, he's talking about eternal life, which is not a quantity of life. It's a quality of life that you can have now, but your flesh gets in the way of it right now. When you choose to do what God doesn't want you to do, I think you'd realize that a lot of times you're responsible for a lot of the mess ups that are going on in your life. It's not God's fault. This world system's constantly telling us as the enemy, telling us that this is, this is the way you have success and it's totally contrary to the way God says. And then the devil who's playing it all is, is making sure it all works out. But if we follow him, if we're his sheep and we follow him, man, it's like everything works out exactly the way he wants it to work out. Not exactly the way you want it to work out. Think about this again, 100 grains of sand represents 100 years of life. How many grains of sand would it take to represent eternity? More than all the sand. More than all the sand on all the beaches in the entire universe. And yet we get upset with God about this. Yet we're holding on to this. Yet we're making everything about this. Yeah, because this is where we live. But that's why we're constantly being brought back to an eternal perspective. We're constantly being taught by Apostle Paul, by Peter, by James, by John, by everyone. Old Testament, New Testament. It's about there. It's not about here. Once he's saved you and he's purchased you. EJ, when you gave your life to Christ, who owns your life now? Jesus. Yeah, do you still have a part? Yeah, he owns 51% and you have 49. Oh, no, wait. Erica has like 30, right? God has 51. You, your kids have the, oh, you got about 5%, right? Do you even own 5% of your life? No, who owns 100% of your life? Who owns all the shares? It's him. If he doesn't, you never gave him your life and you don't have eternal life. It's about surrendering everything you know about yourself to everything about him. And now he owns you. So who gets to choose what they want to do with you? He does. You own, if it, you gave it to him, then he gets to choose, right? And so the more we walk with him, the more we see how much he loves us, the more even in the pain and in the suffering, it doesn't mean we don't cry. It doesn't mean we don't hurt. But it means that we trust him and we follow. Faithful. What does the word faithful mean? Again, if I were to ask you, who's the most faithful person in this church? You'd probably say, oh, this person's here. Every, they're the first one to leave, last one. They do this, they do that. You know what faithful means? It means full of what? Faith. Full of faith. faith. If you're full of faith, then you do whatever God wants you to do, Right? That's what it means. You're full of faith, and so you are faithful. But in our mind, we equate it to, oh, someone who's always doing this, 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 this. But the most faithful one is the one most full of faith and trusting him. I don't understand how it's going to work out. Roger, yeah. we've been talking, man. And Roger had thought maybe, well, maybe God wants me to go to Michigan and work with this street ministry guy and some different stuff. And maybe so at some point. But he hasn't given him a direction to go. But Roger right now will... He's like, I just want some fellowship. And we're, we're looking at starting this thing called Rogers Rangers. All right? Yeah. Seriously, Rogers Rangers. And, and what he's looking for, he's not, are you looking for a wife? No. Let's just clear that up right now, okay? He's not looking for a wife. He just lost his not too long ago. How long ago was that? 
three months ago, right? That's not where we're at. And we've constantly got people who are, have lost spouses, people moving here, starting new lives. People are, and, and is there an age limit on this Rogers Rangers? Uh, no. no, no age limit, man. But Roger wants to start something, I think on Friday nights or somewhere, Saturday. So he's open for whatever. Friday, Saturday, whatever. Yeah, the whole weekend, dude, Rogers Rangers, the weekend party. They just want to get together and have good fellowship and, and people all heading in the same direction with the same goals, the same, but enjoying each other because there's so many people here that are alone. And there's only a few places around here to gather. <laughs> and it's all, not always the most wholesome place to gather. But he's looking to make something. So if you're interested in being part of Rogers Rangers, <laughs> Roger, stand up, man, so they know who you are. You cannot miss him. That's Roger. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know whatever. And, and it's kind of scary, too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude, you may not get to go lay down in your lazy boy every night. You might be busy being Rogers Rangers, man. Amen. And that's what success is. That's how things all happen in God's economy and time. So he says, anyways, I and the Father are one. So now we'll get on to the message that I'm preaching today. All right. <laughs> so again, I want you to know, man, you are safe in the palm. Is there anyone who can stop you from going to heaven once you've got the ticket? Once you've got the relationship with Christ? It's a done deal. So compared to that hundred grains of dirt, hundred grains of sand, which very few people even live that long. And knowing eternity isn't even represented by all the rest of the sand in the universe, man. It's like, why are we making this such a big deal? Especially when we supposedly gave our life to him. And we still think we own a few shares. Man, we've got to trust him. I love the songs that God gave the band this morning to sing. Do you know that between Zane, his mini message that we preached, and I missed it last week, bro. And I'm so glad God's leading you in that way. Between that, between the song, we don't all get together. In fact, if they were waiting for me to finalize what I'm preaching, they would have probably not got it till like last night or this morning. I study it. I know it. But I don't know exactly what it's all going to be about. I was trying to explain to Emily the other day, but Emily, it's not what I told you it was yesterday. It's something different, but God, the Holy Spirit, puts everything together, and it's been pretty awesome to watch it happen. So here's what's going to happen while you know that you are safely in the palm of God's hand. Now, does that mean you're not in the palm of his hand right now? No, you're in the palm of his hand right now, so that means nothing's coming into your life unless it's by his design. How many of y'all, if you were God, would you choose something a little different than what he's put in your life recently? Yeah, most of us would have. How many of you have ever had God put something in your life you weren't real thrilled about, but afterwards you saw how it increased your faith, how it grew you? Yeah, we don't sign up for that stuff, you know? Charla, you're, you're in a gym right now, I see. You kind of post those things right there. Do you enjoy every moment of sweat and pain and hard work? And you, you, I mean, they I make... I kind of do, yeah. Well, you're, all right, so who here's not a masochist? I'm just like, no, Terry. No, 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 no I, I know, but, but, but the point is what we're really enjoying is, is what it's going to bring. What it's going to bring in the end. Disciples need to be disciplined when it comes down to it. And that's what God is doing in our life. So here are some points that we're going to see out of Apostle Paul um, and him now making his way to Jerusalem. So the first thing I want to share with you is this. Get done what God has sent you here to do. Now, you may have seen these titles somewhere because as I'm putting everything finally together last night of, of everything I'm looking at, God starts giving me these titles. And they're the same titles that I've been sending out to you each day in the last four or five days. It was so interesting. I'm looking, I'm looking at saying, oh, God, how do you want me to explain this once and for all? I've studied it. I know it. And he said, boom. I said, didn't I send that out this morning? Yeah. I look at the next part. And it's like, didn't I send that out on Friday? Yeah. And I look at the next part. Didn't I send that out on Thursday? And on Wednesday? Yeah. And it's cool how he did that from the life of Christ as I'm studying in John. And now he's going to do it in the life of Paul. So the first point that I want you to know is what, what, what helps you stay on track in doing what he wants you to do. And, and being faithful, being full of faith, is get done what God has sent you here to do. Figure out what it is you're supposed to be doing. One, you're supposed to be making disciples. Two, as you're going, you, you, you make disciples. You baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You help them to observe what he's already taught you, which is what we talk about always, which is helping each other see life from God's perspective. No matter where you are, what you do, you see life from God's perspective so you can help others. So get done what God has sent you here to do. 
Don't waste time sitting around, well, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> well, you know, do when you don't know what to do, Karen, what do you do? Do what you, do know, what you know to do, right? Yep. Even if that's taking a nap. That's all right, Destiny, sometimes, right? All right, Tell, but not too often for Jack, right? All right, so get down what God has sent you here to do. Check it out. Here is verse 1, chapter uh, 21. And they were leaving now. Remember, he met with the Ephesian elders, and now they're le he's leaving. He wants to get back to Jerusalem. He wants to get there by Pentecost so that he can bring an offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem who are beaten down. They're poor. They're starving. They're without everything. And so he's got this offering from the Gentile churches that he's bringing into Jerusalem. That's his goal. That's his purpose for going because God told him that's what he wanted him to do. And so he saw the Ephesian elders. They had their beautiful goodbye. And it says, and when he had parted from them. And in the Greek, that word parted literally means to be torn away from. They were with the, the elders in Jerusalem, you know, the Ephesian elders, and they loved each other, and they were having fellowship, and they were praying, and you, he had to literally be torn from them. He had to tear himself away from that meeting to be able to go do what God wanted him to do. Have you ever had to tear yourself away from what you want to do to go do what God wants you to do? That's a principle right here. So, man, you, sometimes when you can't tear yourself away from what you want to do to do what God wants you to do, that's even more reason to tear yourself away from what you want to do to do what God wants you to do because we belong to him. And that's where our satisfaction is going to be. That's where our success is in doing what God wants us to do. So when he had torn himself away from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes. And, oh, I learned something cool about Rhodes. There's actually some uh, uh, statue that was like 10 stories high of Apollos. Uh, uh, who? Yeah, yeah, a big statue, I think it was a palace, but yeah, it was something. It was a giant statue, 10 stories high, that evidently all the ships had to sail through. <laughs> and then an earthquake trashed it, and they couldn't really rebuild it, and so some dude bought it, and he scrapped it. <laughs> that was really what happened. Terry, did y'all get that contract? You didn't get to scrap the palace. <laughs> it was worth a lot, bro. But yeah, uh, so he's sailing all through the Mediterranean, beating a path straight through to try to get back to Jerusalem, heading east. So when he had parted from them, set sail, we came by a straight course. What does it mean when you take a straight course? <laughs> you don't take a crooked one. My wife likes to take a straight course through the grocery store. How many of y'all like a straight course through the grocery store? Me, I'm like, oh, you already bought some. I know, but I want to read the ingredients. Oh, I want to look at this. Joan, I bet you don't take a straight course, no. do you? Did she take a straight course? No. She's like me, man. Paul was not dilly-dallying. Paul wanted to get there. Boom, I'm getting there. I'm hunting, man. I'm going and I'm coming back with what I need. And, uh, and went, so he took a straight course to Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. He's moving it. He's booking it. He's on a, and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, he went aboard and set sail. So, so far, he's on, he's on the little daily puddle jumper, and he's probably, like, going insane because he wants to get there. It's going, oh, here's the city. Oh, let's go sightsee here. Let's go here. And Paul's like, no, let's get to where we're going. So he gets off the little puddle jumper boat, and he gets on one with about three, 400 people and starts booking it to Phoenicia. And they went aboard and set sail, buddy. They're moving. When he had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, they saw Cyprus. And some of the tourists had their binoculars and their camera. Let's stop at Cyprus. Paul's like, no, keep it going. And they're moving on past Cyprus. See you, Cyprus. And they're moving on to the east, leaving it on the left as we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. Now, Tyre is that eastern coast of the, Medi of the Mediterranean where, where Israel is. So they're a little bit, they're north of Jerusalem, north of Israel right now. Looking at it your way. Here's the Mediterranean. Here's Israel. They're up here. And so they've made it up to uh, Tyre. Uh, and for there, the ship was to unload its cargo. So all it's got to do is unload cargo, right? And then they can keep moving. How many of y'all know somebody that's always in a hurry? Anybody know that? What would they, come on, man. Who knows somebody that's always just, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Uh, what would they be doing right now while the ship is unloading its cargo? Huh, yeah, let me help. Yeah, let me help. Oh, my goodness. Can't you go any faster? Come on. I got a place to be. Here they are. And they're getting ready to unload their cargo. Um, well, I'll tell you in a minute. We'll, we'll move back. Uh, we'll go back to uh, another statement. But when they're unloading the cargo, guess how long it's going to take? Seven days. <laughs> 
seven days. So Paul is like, oh my goodness, can't you move any faster? But instead, you know what Paul does while he's, while he's there? We're going to see. Paul is going to make fellowship. He's going to do ministry wherever he's at. Because, and perhaps, I'm just throwing this perhaps for those of you that are always in a hurry, including myself sometimes, believe it or not, all right, when we're in that hurry and we feel like we've been delayed, do you think there's a possibility that God has delayed us so that maybe we can minister to the people who are there? And instead of representing Christ, we represented Satan by being a jerk. I'm sorry. No, it's like, seriously, has anybody ever done that? You ever been hurt? Didn't go your way, and it's like, ah, oh, by the way, God bless you. And they're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> My biggest place to do that is on US 1 during snowbird season, all right? But I'm just saying, could it not be possible that God's got you in that place at that time for a reason? I got to tell you, man, every year, man, we book a trip to the Keys, and we leave on Wednesday. We get there by Wednesday around noon. Man, we, we go eat lunch slash dinner. We usually camp, but last year somebody spoiled us and let us use an RV. Now my family's ruined forever. And then this year we're actually going to be in a, in a trailer, man. Uh, we're going to be in a, in a VRBO. So we got air conditioning and all of this. No more camp, tent camp, but I, I think it's going to be good. And, but we go there, and man, we, we eat at Hobo's. Anybody ever eat at Hobo's, dude? You go to Key Largo, eat at Hobo's. That's awesome. Man, best coleslaw you've ever had in your life, dude. It's awesome. We're there. Go out on a little boat cruise Wednesday night. Thursday, Friday, dude, we're hooking up, snorkeling, diving, checking out all the cool spots. Saturday morning, we're packing it up, coming home. And that's our annual vacation, which is awesome. I just need a few days with my family. We, get, we do that, and it's R&R. Now, we go between Christmas and New Year's in the Keys. Does anybody know what they call that week? They call it Hell Week because everybody in the world is there. But we go because it's exciting, and we know in the summertime, there's gonna be absolutely nobody there. It's gonna be quiet and peaceful, and the restaurants, you're gonna have the restaurant to yourself, and the restaurant will, please come in, here, here's extra thing of key lime pie. You, you know, they're taking care of you. Well, we erroneously booked our trip this week, and it's during mini lobster season, which is hell week too. <laughs> but but it, it's okay. It's okay. At first, I'm like, oh, my goodness, do we reschedule? Do we do this? And it was like, no, you know what? I think God wants us there for a reason. It's not what I would plan. I was planning on a nice, quiet seclusion, whatever. But the point is, is I cannot wait now to see what God has got in store for us. He's bringing everybody from all over the place there in the Keys. And how many of you ever driven in the Keys? when there was a wreck on the overseas highway <laughs> and it takes you two hours to get 10 minutes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like a restaurant where you're waiting outside, getting eaten by snow, uh, no seams for two hours. You finally do get in and you, I'm just saying, but I can't wait to see God did this. God hooked us up at this time. And so next week, I hopefully I have some cool stories for the praise jars, eh? Because we're leaving this Wednesday to go do that and pray for us that we would see life from God's perspective. It's not what I'm expecting, but Dudes, how many times have you ever gone expecting something and what God hooked you up with is something way better? Anybody? Only when you're seeing it from his perspective. So I can't wait to see what's going to happen there. So anyways, here they are. Unloading the cargo. <laughs> Seven days to do this. So Paul makes the most of it, which is what we should do when we're delayed. Again, we're trying to do what God wants us to do, but if God stops us there for seven days, what do you think he wants us to do? Jimmy, what do you think he wants us to do? Some for him, yeah. Mike, what do you think he wants us to do? <laughs> yeah, Find, uh, do something with him. So the next point I want you to make is that, or one I want to make to you is this, that faith, and this is a word Seth introduced me to because it's way bigger than one that I would have ever looked up in the, in the you know, dictionary or whatever, but counterintuitive. Everybody say counterintuitive. Counterintuitive. What a great word. Uh, Seth, what does counterintuitive mean? Not like man thinks. Okay, not like man thinks. Merriam-Webster had a way bigger definition than that, but that's a good one. Yeah, exactly. Not the way man thinks. It's not the way our intuition would say things should go. It's not normal. It's a way different way than we would have ever dreamed of or hoped of. Aren't you ready for a counterintuitive time in the keys? You are, I know. You love adventure, right? <laughs> we may be hiding in the little trailer playing Uno at night. I don't know. We'll see, man. But anyways, 
So faith in Christ is counterintuitive. How many times has God ever had you doing something that did not seem like the way it should be done? It like didn't make sense. This is where we're at in this next little section here. Faith in Christ is counterintuitive. All right, so here it is. Paul now is there. They're unloading the ship. As soon as they load the ship, he's, he's going to start making his way down the coast, down towards Jerusalem. So, and having sought out disciples. So what did Paul do right away? He sought some disciples. Now, what's interesting about the rest of this trip is all the disciples he's seeking, the last time he sought them, he sought them to kill them. <laughs> he was an enemy to Christ, and he was seeking to kill all these folks on the rest of his trip. And, and then God saved him, and now he's made his third missionary journey, and now he's get, he didn't even know these guys. He sought them out. It wasn't like, you know, they, he Googled a church. How many of y'all Googled a church and found this one, right? Yeah, they, praise God. Thank you, JJ. Did a good job. But, but they didn't have Google. They had, he sought him out because he didn't know, where, are there believers here? I'm going to do something. I might as well hang out with the right people. And, and, and so he started hanging out. He sought out disciples. And look what it says. We stayed there seven days. And believe me, it wasn't because Apostle Paul wanted to. That's how long it took to unload the ship and load it back up again. And through the Spirit, look at this, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, some people think Apostle Paul was being uh, rebellious, that he was being sinful by continuing to, to Jerusalem. But there's a few ways of looking at this. And I think as you read the rest of the story, you'll see that Paul wasn't disobedient at all. Because last week, we, last thing we heard was that Paul felt that the Holy Spirit had told him he needed to go to Jerusalem. He had directions from the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And so what, what's happening here, I think you're going to see in the rest of the story, is that these people are going to be prophesying in the Spirit. They're going to get messages from the Holy Spirit to give to Paul. And what the message is, Paul, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get beat. You're going to get tortured. Paul, you're going to get hurt. Paul, it's not going to be good for you. So if God gives you a message for that, in love for that person, what are you going to tell them? What are you going to tell them? Unless you hate them, right? But if you love them and God gives you a message to tell Charlotte, you go there, you're going to get beat, you're going to get tortured, you're going to get hurt, what would you tell her? No. Now, did the Spirit of God tell them to tell Paul that? Not necessarily. That's not even the way it's constructed in the Greek. Uh, bottom, it, it's kind of, so what the idea is here is that they've got a message that something bad's going to happen. Well, Paul already got that message in the last chapter. He said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get beat. I'm going to get chained up. I'm going to get all these different things, and, and all these bad things are going to happen. Does God ever lead us into things that we think are bad that are going to happen? Yeah, as we speak right now, there's people being martyred for their faith. There are so many people dying for their faith right now, but in our American theology, our prosperity gospel, that, and I'm not trying to throw labels on stuff, man, anything that we determine is bad is not of God. Go tell that to the born-again believers in China and all over the universe right now, except mushy, cushy, gushy America, where everything's got to be perfect. God leads, is leading Paul. And what they're really saying is that they're saying, hey, Paul, there's bad things that are going to happen to you, so we think you shouldn't go. And you're going to see that. And Paul, what does Paul need to do, though? He needs to go, if that's what the Holy Spirit. Now, again, we don't blow off counsel, counsel, counsel from people. People come to us. People come to us. We should consider it. But we're the ones who are going to be accountable to do uh, what God wants us to do in this. So through the Spirit, and, and think about this, they had never met Paul before, so after seven days, they're all madly in love with each other. Anybody ever go on a mission trip and that happens? You meet somebody in seven days because of the Holy Spirit of God, man, y'all love each other. You don't want something bad to happen. And so the Spirit was like, Paul, you're going to get beat. You're going to get straight. And we're going to see this in the next seven chapters. Dude, they actually put Paul on this stretcher where they're stretching his short little fat legs out. They're stretching him out. They're torturing him. To get him to renounce Christ, and he's not going to do it. Things are happening. This was not a prohibition saying don't go. It was preparation saying when you go, this is going to happen, so be prepared for this persecution. Kind of like Paul, it was kind of like Jesus' Gethsemane. This is like Paul's Gethsemane. Hey, this is what it's going to be like. Are you still willing to be obedient to me or not? How many of y'all are glad that God didn't tell you how bad it was going to be in certain situations? He just let you go. Think of the faith you would need if God said, this is how horrible it's going to be. Now I want you to go. You have a choice to follow me or not. 
I admire Paul's faith in this. But they're telling him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, how many people would it take to talk you out of following God if the result wasn't what humans think is good? And we could justify it, couldn't we? Oh, yes, I heard from God. No, you heard from those people. You better be sure you're hearing from God. So look at this. When our days were ended, seven days finally over, we departed. We went on our journey, and they all, with wives, children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, which is tradition, something that wasn't tradition in the culture, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. How many of y'all like to be on the beach kneeling down with a bunch of people praying, man? Hey, let's do that tomorrow. You remind me, somebody remind me of Beach Day Monday with our ghetto pops in our hand and we've just had our devotion, man, and at the end, we always say thank you to God. Let's get on the, let's get on our knees and let's pray tomorrow. Y'all remind me okay of this? But that's what they're doing. They love Paul and they probably know they're never going to see him again. And look at this. And we said farewell to one another. So Luke is still with them. They said farewell to one another. Then we, that's Luke, uh, uh, with Paul, maybe some others, we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, which is up in the north, we arrived at the Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one more day. So again, here's a bunch of people that Paul probably persecuted in Jerusalem, and they started a church over, um, over on the Mediterranean, and he hadn't met them since he persecuted them last. And they greeted the brothers, stayed with them for a day. Isn't that cool what the Holy Spirit can do? People you were enemies with, now when you're born again, you can be best buds. You can be in love with each other, and that's what happened. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. Caesarea was kind of on the, it was kind of like Jerusalem's port, although it was probably 90 miles away. It was a good, it was a 90-mile, it's kind of like Orlando's our airport, <coughs> saying something like that, right? And, but Caesarea was the final port, and now they had to make their way in. And he said, we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Um, and who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, what do we know about Philip? Philip was one of the seven, okay? So you remember in the early church, the Jewish women were getting served and the Greek women were feeling like they were neglected. And Paul and the, or Peter and the apostles, John and all those guys were like, you know, man, it's not right that we should leave the word of God in praying. Not that feeding people is, is not as good, but we're supposed to be praying in the word of God. We can't let that get distracted. And the Holy Spirit led them to pick seven guys out, which we believe many call that the beginning of the deacon ministry. Whether it was or wasn't, there were seven spirit-filled men that now were going to be model representative of the church and take care of these Greek women. And they, he said Philip was one of those. And Stephen was one of those. But we know they went and preached, man. And when Stephen preached to the Jews, what happened to Stephen? They stoned him to death, right? Philip was right there with them. And who orchestrated the stoning of Stephen? Paul did. <laughs> Paul orchestrated that stoning. Paul, Philip, man, do you remember? Philip was in the midst of a revival preaching the gospel in Samaria, and the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to go on this road. And as he's heading, he met the Ethiopian eunuch, and which possibly that dude went up into Africa and started a whole nother revival. Philip, the what? What do they call him? The evangelist. Wait, what does evangelism mean? Yeah, someone who spreads the good news. That's what he did. He was a good news spreader. Uh, he, the evangelist. And so, um, so the last time that Philip saw Paul, what was Paul trying to do? Kill him. <laughs> and now he's got Paul staying at his house. And they're deeply in love with each other because they're on the same side. They're serving the Holy Spirit or serving Christ. And look, he says Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, it doesn't say they prophesied. It says virgin daughters in, in the King James, but they prophesied, okay? So they backed up what the preacher, what the apostles were saying. They backed it up with words from God. And sometimes they had messages for people. It didn't tell us if they prophesied to Paul, but if they prophesied to Paul and it's not recorded, Destiny, what do you think they would have said? What do you think they would have said? What's everybody telling Paul? Don't go. Tom, I was going to so call you last night and see if you knew that Muddy Water song. Baby, don't, baby, please don't go. go. Do you know that song? Can you just impromptu get up and play, man? No. Anybody know that Muddy Waters song? Who knows that Muddy Waters song? Baby, please don't go. As I was studying this last night, that's all I heard. Baby, please don't go. Baby, please don't go. Everybody Paul's talking to is saying, baby, please don't go. Don't go down to New Orleans. He's saying, no, but they're saying, don't go to Jerusalem. 
I was going to have to put Jerusalem instead of New Orleans. Aren't you glad I didn't call you last night? <laughs> Baby, please don't go. And, and, it's, and, it's, and the reason is they didn't want him to go to New Orleans or down, they didn't want him to go to Jerusalem was because I love you so. Everybody loved Paul. They loved him so that they were, they were getting a message from the Holy Spirit telling Paul to be prepared on what it was going to be like. But they loved him so much, they started adding directions to the Holy Spirit's words and saying, don't go because of the love for him. The Holy Spirit never said, don't go, Paul. In fact, the Holy Spirit told Paul to go. And they were trying to discourage Paul from going because of their feelings. They added to what God said in all of this. Everyone. Now, these girls, we don't know that they prophesied. They had a ministry um, in that church. We, we really don't know much more about them. But there's one dude who gets pretty dramatic. Okay. He gets pretty dramatic. All right, so 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 Zane, come on up here, man. All right, just because I, I missed you from last week. All right. It says, so while we were staying for many days, don't worry about this. <laughs> a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. You're Agabus, all right? This is Everybody say, hey, Agabus. All right, I'm Paul because I'm the short little dumpy guy, right? You know, and, and he's Agabus, okay? And coming to us, he took Paul's belt. And he bound his own hands and feet. <laughs> Maybe Agabus had a bigger belt. I don't know. But he bound his hands and feet. And, and he said, go ahead. And I want you to say, act this out, bro. Just what's in quotes right there. Thus says the Holy Spirit. All right. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. That's me. <laughs> and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So he bound himself up. So here's another guy saying, this is what's going to happen to you if you go. I'm hoping this message is almost over because my pants are coming down if they're not. No, but, but thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jew. So he acts it out literally in Old Testament prophet form. Let's see if he has any more lines here. He said, this is what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem if you go. You'll be bound. The man who owns us can be bound by the Jews and delivered into the hand of the Gentiles. Oh, go ahead. You can sit down now. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> when we heard this, we and the people there did what? Hey, so here's really what happened from the very beginning. People are, Paul heard from the Holy Spirit right away, chapter ago or so. Hey, when you go to Jerusalem, it's going to be some bad junk happening to you. But I need you to go. I want you to go. I want you to deliver this Gentile offering to the Jewish church to bring unity, but to help your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've got something for you to do. And we'll see seven more chapters of it. So Paul was already told. Another person was told, Paul, this is going to happen. But then they added their own little interpretation to it. So don't go. Baby, please don't go. <laughs> don't go down to Jerusalem because I love you so. Baby, please don't go. <laughs> Aren't you glad I'm not singing in the choir? <laughs> I almost brought a guitar, man. Almost. Yours is right-handed, otherwise I'd show off. No, I'm just joking. So, again, this guy, Agabus, comes and he says, man, this is what's going to happen. So, so what does it say? When what? We heard this. What? We and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. So do you see God saying, don't go? No, he's seeing a bunch of people, just like the Muddy Waters song. Baby, please don't go. Baby, please don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem because we love you so. <laughs> That's really what's happening. This prophecy is not a prohibition to Paul not to go. He's not being disobedient. It's preparation. A man that can go being, having been prepared to know what to expect, that's a man right there. That's a faithful man. Most, for most of us, God has to just kind of sneak it in on us, doesn't he? <laughs> it just happens step by step. But what a man of God that we could aspire to be like Paul when he says, yeah, dude, you're going to get beat. You're going to get trashed. You're going to get tortured. You're going to be put through all kinds of... You're going to be getting a shipwreck. You're going to try to help out with a fire, getting some firewood, and, and a snake's going to bite you. Everybody thinks you're going to die, and then you're not. But he still got bit by a snake. How many of you ever got bit by a non-poisonous snake? Does it hurt? Yeah. Go python wrestle, man, and let one grab on you. It still hurt. All these things. How many of y'all, if God said you're going to get bit by a snake, would say, that's it. I'm drawing the line right there. <laughs> yeah. 
So, man, it's like this prophecy is not prohibition, don't go. It's, it's pre preparation to say this is what to expect. And so let's see how it all works out. Paul answered, and look what he says to him. What are you guys doing? I mean, what are they doing? They're trying their best to get Paul not to go because they love him. They're not trying to be mean, are they? How about Peter? When Jesus was talking about dying and going to the cross and all of this, what did Peter say? All bowed up. Never over my dead body. You'll never do this. And he said, shut up, boy. Except for the cock crows, you'll be denying me and all this stuff. And what did he say to him, though, Zane? Get behind Say, get behind me. You're trying to do Satan's work, stopping me from doing what God wants to do. In essence, this is Paul's Gethsemane. This is Paul saying, what are you guys doing? You're weeping and breaking my heart. Look, don't you think I know what I'm getting ready to face and God wants me to do it? Don't you think it's hard enough? I could really use your encouragement instead of your discouragement. Man, you're breaking my heart. He says, look, man, I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem. For who? The name of Jesus Christ. Or the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm ready to die. Guys, encourage me. Get, give me some hope. Give me, tell, tell me, go, man, go. You're, you guys are making it harder. And you think you're making it easy. Just because it looks like it's going to be bad doesn't mean it's not of God. I mean, every one of us, man, have had God use bad things to do great things in our life. How many of you have ever done that? Had something bad, the world says is bad, do great, end up being a great thing in your life? Yeah, every, almost every one of us. That's how we got saved. We knew we were lost. We knew we needed to be saved. So in this, the last thing is sovereignty is his specialty. We'll, we'll go over this again. I'll put it up where you'll be able to see everything. But I want you to know God is sovereign. God is in control. And that's why we can trust him. He is sovereign over everything that happens in this universe. There is nothing that happens that is not by his design, that does not come from his permission, is not going to work out. There's nothing that's going to mess up his plan. So he's the one we need to follow. Because nobody else, there is absolutely no one else in this universe, ever has been, ever will, that's sovereign. Only him. So look what happened. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased trying to get him to stay. And we said, what? Yeah. So it'd be like, all right, go kill yourself if you want. <laughs> that's not really what, you know, let the Lord will. No, that's not it. How many of y'all want the will of the Lord to be done? Yeah. It should be awesome. You've convinced us. Let the will of the Lord be done. Yes. And that's what we should be doing for each other. That's what husbands should be doing with their wives. And wives should be doing with their husbands. And mothers and fathers should be doing with their kids. And kids should be doing with their parents. And relatives should be doing. And church members with each other. And we should be doing out in the world. Man, what does God want to do? Look what God's doing. Help. I, I, I see this from God's perspective. So I want you to see it that way. Oh, my God, you are so lucky lightning struck your RV while you were in church. That's awesome. I don't know what God's going to do. After all that rain poured right down in the middle and all your dogs escaped out of the top. And this is going to be awesome. Let's wait and see what God's going to do. That doesn't sound exciting, does it? And, and you don't see it. She's looking at her clouds. <laughs> but literally, that's what it's about. Let God's will be done. God did this. Awesome. When we understand that everything God does is for our good and his glory, and we understand that it's all to make us more like Christ, it takes a lot of anxiety out of stuff. And we understand how temporary this little, teeny, insignificant life is here. It takes a lot of anxiety away. That's why Paul could say, man, with every fiber of his being, me to live is Christ, to die is better, it's gain." Because once I get to heaven, dude, <laughs> it is perfection. How, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Earth is not going to be perfect. <laughs> this is not going to be perfect. I don't care how good of a control freak you are. It's not going to be perfect. But it's all by God's design. It's perfect in his economy, but not ours. So they said, man, let the will of the Lord be done. 
All right, we're on it, Paul. We're sorry. We're encouraging you. Go do what God wants you to do, man. Go. Let's do it. So in conclusion, here's what we make of all of this, putting it all together. So get done what God sent you here to do. Don't be sitting around doing nothing because, man, what happens when you're idle? What happens when you're just sitting around doing nothing? You get distracted. You can be misled. Start just do what God wants you to do. Get done what he's already told you to do. It may be not, you're, maybe you're waiting on an answer here for this, but you've got plenty of things you know God does want you to do and be a part of. And one is helping others see life from God's perspective. No matter who he puts you in, every encounter is a divine encounter. So get done what God sent you here to do. Remember, faith in Christ is counterintuitive. So if it starts not making sense, there's a good chance you're right in the center of God's will. Pauline, you ever have some counterintuitive stuff happen in your life? Stuff that wasn't part of your plan? Stuff that didn't make sense? Yeah. So get done what God has sent you here to do. Remember, faith in Christ is counterintuitive. And don't forget the sovereignty is his specialty. Just because you can't figure out how this is going to work out for your good and his glory doesn't mean he can't. He's already got it figured out. He's already got it solved. He's behind us. He's around us. And he's in front of us. We're encompassed by him. He's got it down pat. And all of that is to let you know that you are safely preserved in the palm of God's hand. That's the bottom line. You're more precious to God than this wedding ring is to me. And, um, you know, I, I bet there's some of you that have a tactic. How many of y'all were thinking of a tactic where you could kick me somewhere and I'd immediately drop this ring or you get, you know, yeah. But the fact is, is that you are safely in the palm. You're more precious to God than this ring is to me. And you're safely in the palm of Jesus' hand. And if that ain't enough, you're in the Father's hand. And no one can take you out. No one can mess up the fact that you're going to spend eternity where, Roger? No one's going to mess up the fact that you're going to spend eternity where, Tom? In heaven. No one. Not even you. <laughs> and that good news? You can't even mess that up. Because, Kathy, we sure try, don't we? But no one can mess that up. You're safely preserved in the palm of God's hand, and nothing's going to mess that up. Don't sweat the small stuff here. Go with it. See it from God's perspective so that you can then use that to help others see it from God's perspective. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Paul's faithfulness, showing us what faithfulness really is, how... Uh, it's really being full of faith. It's one thing to have enemies fighting you and, 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 and having uh, to resist the enemy and having people encourage you that way. But it's, it's another thing when you've got dear friends trying to make sense to you, to do something that actually makes sense. But it's counterintuitive. <laughs> it's, it's what you want us to do is counterintuitive. What you want us to do is not that. Father, I pray that our faith would increase and that we would learn from the Apostle Paul that uh, you don't always speak through circumstances and you don't always speak through people, although you do that sometimes. But you speak through your word and sometimes you put that word in our hearts. And I pray that every one of us, our ability to hear you would get clearer and clearer and clearer. And it would be in tune with your word. And Father, that we again would be full of faith to do whatever it is your word tells us to do. But Father, take this message and apply it in each life the way it needs to be applied. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.